Hello, and welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McLaughlin. I've started characterizing the feelings of discomfort and unease that people start feeling in our mid to late 30s as the ick. You know, the ick is when your life starts to feel like it doesn't fit you so well anymore. Maybe you're not sure what part of it doesn't fit, or maybe you're crystal clear on what's not working. Either way, you might not know what to do to ease the ick, or, or the path might sound simple, like get a new job, but it's really much more complex than that. And for most of us, the ick is existential. It feels nebulous and vague. For example, the question, why do I always choose men that suck, doesn't have an easy answer. Uh, and by the way, I don't choose men that suck anymore. <laughs> but that is a historically accurate question for me. But sometimes the ick is physical. My guest today is Marc Paisant, who enjoyed the freedoms of his 20s after a Division I collegiate soccer career, but over time found himself more than 100 pounds heavier than his playing weight. And for him, the ick was not nebulous. It was the difficulty of getting out of bed. It was the pain in his knees and the swelling in his ankles. It was sweating all the time. And this led him to be disgusted with himself over getting to this place, but it also led him to begin his journey back, which, as always, was a winding road. But along the way, he picked up a great deal of wisdom, which he's here to share with us today. Let's meet Mark. Hi, Mark. Thanks for being here. I'm so happy to have you on the 40 Drinks podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation. Me too. Me too. As I get into these conversations, I love that I get to meet strangers and then jump straight over the hi, how are you, finding common ground stuff and just jump into like, tell me really gooey things about your life. Mm -hmm. It's just the coolest thing. So yeah, you, um, you put a screen and a mic in front of people and they will tell you anything, <laughs> me included. So thanks for having me. It's true. Let's just jump right in. Why don't you start by just telling me a little bit about your formative adult years? Yes. So graduated from college. I'm a Clemson Tiger. And after that, moved directly up to the DC area to be with my girlfriend, now my wife, took a job and did the whole, I'm trying to get used to the world type thing. Like, oh no, these bills are mine now. Oh no, I should go to sleep at a good time. I probably should eat healthy. But yeah, I didn't do any of that stuff. Through my 20s, it was just filled with going out too much, spending too much money that I didn't have, not worrying about anything mentally, just figuring I'd be okay at the end, gaining a bunch of weight after being a college athlete. Then I got married, had kids, checked all the boxes, had a job, bought a house, and still something was missing. I turned to therapy, a lot of therapy and some physical training and a lot of running a few surgeries in there to help me with that and move back down to this area. I'm in Georgia now where my wife, my two kids, nine and seven, a dog, a cat, now another cat, all live in a nice single family house. My kids go to good schools. My wife and I work and this is me. This is me now. Well, it sounds a little bit like the American dream, my friend. It does sound like that. The one thing they don't tell you is that each American dream is unique. You can't just rely on what you've been taught or what somebody else has done, but you kind of got to pave your own way. So that's what we're trying to do right now. Yeah. I'm really interested in the fact that you were a college athlete. 
And then you graduate college and like every other red-blooded American 20-something, you just popped off to life in general, having fun, doing things, following your nose. And a lot of things get left by the wayside. And for you, fitness was a big one. It was. And the thing that got me the most, and looking back, this was huge, is that my entire childhood, teenage years, my young adult years in college, I always had someone to make me stay in shape. I always had someone to set my schedule. I always had someone to keep me accountable. I never did that for myself. I wasn't the person that stayed after practice to run more. I wasn't the person that stayed to shoot more baskets or anything like that. So I was just on their schedule. Once I graduated, I wasn't on anyone's schedule. And I thought that my metabolism wouldn't slow down. I thought I could still eat everything. I thought those calories were just going to go away by me living. Um, and that wasn't the case. So combine that with a job that now I have to be somewhere between 40 and 50 hours a week that people are judging me on my performance. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was eye opening for me. It kind of hit me hard and I paid the price for it, but you know, every day I'm, I'm thankful for it because it kind of gave me the guidance to be the person I am right now. Sure. Sure. With regards to the weight gain, it was big for you. It was huge for me, no pun intended. I was always a skinny kid. I could not put on weight. My brother and I both played soccer and, and basketball. I have a twin brother and he played soccer at the Naval Academy. And we were always at a practice. We were always at a game. We we're always at some sort of training session. And even when I go to the gym, when I got into high school and we'd actually have gym sessions, like I could not put on weight. I was the skinniest kid ever. And I ate a lot. Like to this day, I have no idea how my parents afforded the money that my brother and I ate. <laughs> so with this mentality, I'm thinking it's just going to be like this for the rest of my life. You know, I gained the first 20 pounds in my senior year of college. and I really didn't think much about it because I wore big clothes anyway. So the stuff still fit me. But then I started gaining you know, another 10 pounds here, 15 pounds there. And I'm like, well, if they make the clothes, and this is how I tricked myself. If they make my size clothes, then I'm fine. And the waist goes from having a three in front of it to having a four in front of it. And you're like, they still make my clothes. But then you're realizing my back hurts to get out of bed. I have swollen ankles all the time. My knees hurt to walk. I'm sweating all the time maybe I need to start focusing on that fitness aspect because at this point in my life, I'm talking about, you know, late twenties, early thirties. I wanted to have kids with my wife and I wanted to be around for them. Like I wanted to be able to play with them. I wanted to be able to be a good dad. And I couldn't have done that in the body that I used to be in. You said you total gained about a hundred pounds. I gained, this is giving specifics because at my playing weight in college, I was, I'm six foot five. I'm pretty tall, but at my playing weight, I was anywhere between 195 and 205. I was a skinny person mm -hmm. at my heaviest that I, and this might not be my heaviest, but it's the heaviest I weighed myself was 321. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking down on that scale and just thinking like, how, how did you let this happen? How, like this. This isn't cool, Mark. Why would you do this to yourself? And um, that kind of put me on a path to where I am today. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, interesting. Didn't realize you were so tall. I'm relatively tall for a woman. I'm 5'9". And the thing about tall people is they can hold weight better than shorter people can. Mm -hmm. And it's not as obvious and you can hide it in places. So I bet there was a, a period in time where it wasn't that big a deal because uh -huh. you're six foot five and mm -hmm. skinny. So you know, there's a long way between that and being at, whoa. Wait. You don't know how many times I heard, oh, you, you carry it well. Yep. Well, when I was 6'5 and, and 270 or 280 and 290. And again, if I was an NFL football player and I worked out every day and I had those numbers, that's one thing. It, and let's be honest, like as a man, it's a little easier for me just throw on jeans and a collared shirt and for people to say, oh, you look nice. Understand that I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not blind, but I used to really be upset by that comment. I would never show it, but I used to be upset by that comment because that's not a person telling you, oh, you're big or you're overweight or you need to lose some weight. You need to take care of yourself. That's a person saying, oh, you know, you got some extra weight, but it's all right. You're tall. And looking back, you're like, no, that's probably not a great thing to say to somebody, but people are being nice. I understand that. Right. But it's a pretty backhanded comment when you're on the receiving end. Yeah. It, it, yes. Yes. Oh, you're a big guy, but no, no, no. You wear it nice. I tell my wife now, I'm like, if I ever get to a point where I'm getting close to that, or you see me, like you need to be mean, not mean, yeah. but you need to be direct with me. You need to tell me this. If you right. love me, I might be upset at first. I might have my feelings hurt, but that's your job. And she's like, if I tell you that you're going to be so right. mad. I'm like, so be it. I'm like, so be right. it. You're right. saving my right. life. If you We're do partners it. here. And if I need some help, it's your job to help. Yes. Even if I get defensive. <laughs> Correct. And I will. I know I will. I'm sensitive. I was, oh, you're human, but give me a few hours, give me a day or two and, and I'll come talk to you and say, right. you know what? You're absolutely right. So you're in your early thirties. You are somewhere near your highest weight and you realize that it's time to mm -hmm. get a handle on this and bring it back under control. What kind of things do you do? I love this part of it because it's ultra embarrassing, but it's also, it brings kind of levity to the story. So I get to a point where two of my counterparts at work are both getting in shape. One is already in shape, but he's like going to the gym and the other one is losing weight and I want to get in on it. And, you know, they're motivating me. So my dad was a runner and my brother ran and I'm like, you know what? I want to be those cool guys in the short shorts and the tank tops and the cool Asics and New Balance and whatever. I want to be a runner. So one day at work, we live in an apartment. I stopped working at 430. I stopped working and said, go for a run. Because in my brain, I'm still feeling like that college athlete. I said, go for a run. So I start running and I'm in like, honestly, I'm in like basketball shorts and a t-shirt and some Nike running shoes, which did not provide the support I needed. I learned this later, but I run a half a mile. And so I'm pretty tall. There was a stop sign at the end of this road and I put my hand on the stop sign and I hunch over like I have been running for hours and I am so out of breath. I'm surprised no one called like the cops or the fire department or the EMS, somebody to help me oh, because I can't breathe. I cannot breathe <laughs> and I have to walk back home. And this is the time where I'm like, what happened? What? Hold on. And I walk by this bus and it has the mirrored windows on it. And I look at myself while I'm walking. 
and I just I'm in disgust of what I see. Like I'm very upset with myself, and and I'm saying that lightly. There were words said mm-hmm. that I cannot say on your show, but I told myself, you know what? I'm going to run by here every day. I'm going to run by these mirrored windows, my reflection every day, and I'm not going to stop until I like what I see in the mirror. And that's true. I did that. And that was the route I ran almost every day. I started this right after Christmas. I started this January 17th, 18th, around that time. And by September of that year, I had lost 75 pounds. And I changed my diet, changed my eating, thanks to my wife. She downloaded this app for me. And everything I ate, I would report it. And the things I thought were healthy, she's like, check the sodium count on that. Check the fat count on that. I'm a big guy. I eat a full, you know, foot long sandwich. And she's mm-hmm. like, check the calories on that. I'm like totally changed my perspective on food yep. and my portions. So that was the first part of this journey. I say all the time that running saved my life. I believe it did because it allowed me to actually get down to a weight that was manageable I know my blood pressure went down, probably was pre-diabetic. And I also know that all my joints felt much better with the weight off. Like my ankles aren't swollen because I had ankle surgery in college. You know, I go to the gym now and I'll pick up a 75 pound weight or a hundred pound weight. And I'm like, how did I carry this? How did I carry this around? Right. Like this is terrible. So you lost like a 10 year old. Yes. Yeah, I did. You're absolutely right. You know. I did. Yeah. Like a piggyback every day. Right? I, I can't do that. Like my back, I haven't had back issues in over a decade. My knees feel great. Everything feels great. So yeah, I think running definitely saved my life. One of the things you said to me when we first connected was you wanted to accept the body you were given. Mm-hmm. Tell me how that fits into this, you know, up and down. This goes back to when I was a kid and my brother and I, we're twins, but we're fraternal. Okay. So we have a different body type. You can tell that we're brothers Mm -hmm. and you really can tell we're twins when we're together because we're pretty stupid together. We share a brain. We're pretty dumb (laughs) when we get together. But on the surface, you see two of us and I'm just this thin, skinny, can hula hoop with a Cheerio, hide behind a mic stand, all the jokes. I've heard all of them. And my brother is like muscular and built. And just for people who can't see this, he has a full head of hair. I'm bald right now. I'm thinking as a kid, I want what he has. Like, I want that. And as I get older, he stays fit. He's in the Navy. You know, the comparisons stay there. And every part of my life, I just didn't like the body I had. I either wanted to be bigger, I wanted to have more muscles, or I wanted to be smaller and have less fat. Like, at no part of my life did I really like the body I was given. I mean, you name it, I had the five head as a kid. I started losing hair when I was in high school and college, flat feet, like everything, every negative thing you can say about a body, I thought I had. And so this would entail, I'd wear multiple layers for no reason, shirt over shirt, jacket, you know, try to layer to make it look good. And I'm going through the process I am in now and my fitness journey. And, you know, there's loose skin on my body and I've come to accept that. And I just remember thinking like, I didn't choose this body. This is a gift. I was given this body and I can't swap it. You know, people can have plastic surgery and all that stuff, but I can't swap this. So what is the point of hating this thing? What is the point of not being able to 
enjoy this body that I'm in. And this didn't happen. I'm 43 now. This literally didn't happen until 24 months ago, two years. This has been, a, this has been now. This has been in my 40s. Right. And you lost the weight in your early to mid 30s. So that was another seven or eight or nine years so I, before you were. Exactly. And, you know, a part of the story that I don't tell a lot is that I had a surgery. I, I had a, a bone in my foot I had to get taken care of. And, and when I get back to running, my main focus is just lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. And I'm eating a thousand calories a day. I'm burning 2000 calories a day. So I get down to 206 pounds. Enough. Yeah. And stop. <laughs> I even had friends that were like, okay, like mm -hmm. we get it, but enough, enough. And in my head, I couldn't get skinny enough. I couldn't do it because I'm still like hating the body I'm in and hating the person I used to be, hating myself for getting big, hating myself for overeating, hating myself for quitting. Everything is like culminating. And it wasn't until COVID hits and I gained some weight back because I think that was the trend during COVID. But at the tail end of COVID, my wife and I start getting back in shape. And I finally tell myself, you've had a therapist for your mental health. Like, why not do the same for your physical health? Like, you don't know what you're doing half the time. Like, why not get a personal trainer? And I got one and it totally changed my perspective on how to look at my body, how to manage my weight, how to look at the numbers on the scale or not look at the numbers on the scale. And I started to combine my mental and physical health. And it's like, you know what, Mark? You're all right. You're a good dude. You're cool. You're fine the way you are. And I started listening to that. And it's taken me to places mentally and physically I've never, ever been before. I'm in the best shape of my life as a 43-year-old mentally and physically. And that's so weird to say for someone who played college soccer. You know, that's weird to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful, though. Tell me a little mm -hmm. bit about the personal trainer and how they helped you shift your thinking. What was that about? Well, First, Brian is very mean to me <laughs> and he makes me do things I don't yes. want to do so much that I signed up for a second six months right. with him. But, you know, I went from my, you know, the physical, they, they do the kind of the, the first day where they kind of gauge where you're at. The only endurance I had was running. Like I could go out and run a 5k. Like, can you add, like, you want me to bench press something? Like, no, I, I can't, right. I didn't have that. You want me to pick <laughs> no, up a gallon of milk? That, <laughs> yeah. It's like. <laughs> It's like, how much, like when they ask how much can you bench? My answer was just no, like, no, I don't do that. The guy who's the manager puts me with a specific trainer and says, I'm going to put you with him because you're a former athlete. And I know why he did it now because, well, one, because Brian told me like, he should have never told me you were an athlete because I'm about to ruin you. I'm like, <laughs> that's not how you probably want to start, but I understand what you're saying. Like he, and he doesn't mince his words. Like he's a great guy. We're friends now, but you know, one of the things that he told me, he's pushing me and there's things in the gym he's having me do that I can't get through full sets mm -hmm. of. So if I was doing it, I would have quit. Sure. I would have stopped. And that's the great thing about trainers because therapists will get you to think about things that you don't want to think about. Th talk about things you don't want to talk about. Physical trainers will test your limits how you won't do it. Mm -hmm. Like one more is something that a lot of us won't do to ourselves. Right. So that's why I got him. And the biggest piece of advice, and I wouldn't even call this advice that he told me 
I remember the first few months that I was seeing um, some some definition and, and some changes in my body. I went to him. I talked about the scale, and I said, "You know, I started with you at this weight, and now I'm this weight, and I don't understand." And he said, "Don't don't look at that. Don't look at the scale. Like it will it will mess you mm-hmm. up. It will take you away from your goal." He's like, "Just come here. Continue what you're doing." He saw the hard work I was putting in. He's like, "Don't worry about that scale at all." And that was the first time in my life that someone who was talking to me about weight and talking to me about physical appearance said, don't look at that scale. Mm -hmm. And it talk about like paradigm shifts and all the cliche reframing, everything you can think about. It totally changed the way I looked at physical fitness. I agree completely. The scale just messes with your head. So what kind of things did he want you to replace that with? To measure your progress. You know, I think the biggest answer and the only answer to that is feeling, yeah. like literally feeling. How are you feeling? Because for a guy who pushes me past my limits, like he is very good to ask me how I'm feeling the days we're working out. I tweaked my shoulder a few months ago, and he's really good at asking me, how's the shoulder feeling? Want to make sure, like, it's weird that some, it's not weird, but to me, it's weird that someone would just want to know how my body was reacting versus what numbers were telling me or what a BMI was telling me. There's numbers we have to worry about. Like, of course, you want to look at your cholesterol, your LDLs, things like that, your blood pressure, when you look at your heart, your oxygen, all that. Those are specific scientific, you know, doctor numbers we need to look at. But when it comes to how we're obsessed with that scale and how we're obsessed with BMI, when those two things do not tell you how your body's feeling. Right. Like the scale doesn't tell you that your proteins and your amino acids and your, and your muscles and your bone density and everything, like it doesn't tell you that y- your hair is coming in better because of the collagen and the protein. And like, it doesn't tell you any of that stuff. Yeah, it doesn't tell you that doesn't tell you it's easier to wake up in the morning or to get out of bed ah, yes, or, yes. Um, or to even sleep yeah. or just to, you get better sleep. Like it's, it's amazing. And I, I'm upset with the fact that it took me this long into my forties, but I'm also excited in the fact that I learned yeah. it period. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to help other people with. It's just such an American thing, this whole body image and body and what mm-hmm. we're supposed to look like. And how all the things we think are wrong with us because they don't look like a picture that was put in a magazine or on a TV show. I mean, it's really, really challenging. Mm-hmm. And it really does require a solid core personally, mm-hmm. right? To withstand those mass media images. But now that you're working, I won't say on the other side of it because I'm mm-hmm. sure it's a lifelong endeavor, but what's your favorite part of your body? Oh my God. Um, Ah, uh, ah. Uh, well, I will. I will answer your question, but I, I, I want to say this. Um, I didn't really start understanding how awesome my body was until I really started focusing on core. And if there are males listening to this, I just want. I want to talk to you real quick, and I'm going to answer your question. Like, don't just do the bench press. Like, I understand that's the cool thing to do. Like core and lower body. And I'll go ahead and say it like I never had a butt. I never had a backside ever. And I could sit here and tell you it's my shoulders, it's my abs, it's my chest, all that stuff. I was doing RDLs. I don't last wasn't week. RDL. Uh Romanian deadlift, Ooh. the straight leg okay. deadlift. And 
I was recording myself just to see my progress and to maybe post it to my website, all that good stuff. And I looked at the the video. I'm like, wait a second. Is that, is that a butt? Is that, wait a second. And I like immediately like, like sent it to somebody. I'm like, Hey, do I have, I do, don't I? And it, so you got it out of me. I like the fact that I actually have a butt that fits in jeans. So there you go. Your audience can can enjoy that. Uh, well, that Mark Paisant mentioned that. I don't know about the audience, but I am like savoring this. This is amazing. <laughs> Good for you. Congratulations. It's interesting. I've said this before, but the mm. last couple of years I have been managing. I always have to think about mm -hmm. my words. Mm -hmm. I have been managing chronic illness, chronic Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. And so it's had me debilitated and I can't do anywhere mm -hmm. near what I want to do. And if we're focusing on physical fitness, one of the things that I did for five or six years before I got sick was aerial circus. So the, the, the silk mm -hmm. ribbons yes. and, and I loved it. I wasn't great at it, but I just loved to do it. Um, that's a full body workout. Oh, that's right an there. everything. That'll get you. Yeah. <laughs> and so my goal at some point is to get back to that someday, but you get so down on yourself and your body and you feel bad about everything. And there are days I, I have to sit and just say, you know what? These are the legs that carry me. <laughs> they are carrying exactly. me through this and they made it up these stairs. And this is the body that has been a goddamn warrior over mm -hmm. these last five years. So it's interesting. It's the negative to the positive. It's, you know, you got to look yes. at it the positive way. And you got to give yourself props for mm -hmm. every last achievement that you've clawed and fought for. Yes, absolutely. What I know, what I call it and what a lot of people call it is, is giving people their flowers when they're here. And I'm good at doing that with other people. And I was bad at doing it with myself. And I'm still not great at it. You're not going to get me on this show and I'm not going to hype myself up for 30 minutes or 45 minutes. I'm not going to be that guy. But at the same time, it's like, I look at how much progress I've made and I look at how I've actually stayed with this. And it's like, Mark, you're a badass. Like, you're pretty cool, man. I was up at 4 a.m. this morning to get to the gym at 5 and before I didn't know 4am even existed unless I was up the night right. before. Like the first time I was like, people come here. That's ridiculous. But now it's like, I have friends that are there at 515 with yeah. me. And the funny part about that is I didn't even set my alarm. I was planning on going later in the day, but I just got up and my body was like, Hey, you want to go work out? I'm like, you know what? Hell yeah, let's go work out. <laughs> so yeah, that's a pretty cool thing that I'm able to do that yeah. now. And it starts my day off on a very good foot and I feel awesome that this has become a part of me. This isn't what I, this isn't something that I do or something that I have fun or hobby. Like this is a part of my life. It makes me who I am. Yep. I love that. Hi, this is where I usually interrupt to ask you to look down at your phone and either rate or share the podcast. And I'd still love for you to do that. But I had a crazy idea recently. If you are in your late thirties or early forties and you're starting to feel that ick in your life, like one or more aspects of your life doesn't quite fit anymore and you don't know what to do about it, what would you think of having 40 drinks with me? Let's work through that ick together over drinks. Maybe you'll even avoid some of the mistakes I made along the way. If you're game, drop me a line, stephanie at 40drinks.com, and let's chat about the possibilities. All right, back to Mark, who's just about to tell us about acknowledging he's a people pleaser 
and how that affected him. You've said a couple of times that throughout your years, you've done a bunch of therapy and mm -hmm. I want to hear a little bit about you being a yes man and a people pleaser and where that came from and how you've managed that. You know, I, I don't know exactly where that came from. You know, as a kid, I always got a lot of joy in seeing other people happy. Like I always did. I was that kid that would give you the shirt off my back, even if it was the last one I had. I was a happy-go-lucky kid. I just thought the world is awesome. Like it's great to be here. Other than the fact that I wanted to be, you know, bigger and stronger and faster, I was I was the goofy, fun-loving kid, and I loved to make people laugh. And people who were close to me as I grew up realized that you know what you're masking something a lot of the time when you're just saying yes to people when you're just making us laugh like we never see you sad like that's weird the times you are quiet we think something's wrong with you. so as i'm growing up i'm seeing how happiness of other people makes me feel so there was never that internal thought to make myself happy there was always if i make this person happy if i say yes to their request yes to their demand if i can get this done in double time then they'll be happy, then I'll be happy. And for anybody who's in that cycle right now, I cannot tell you how just absolutely infuriating and how draining and just how much that negatively affects you. So as I get into the workforce, I say yes to everything. I don't push back. So think about that for a second. Someone can say, Mark, you're doing a great job. I can say, thank you. I appreciate that. Or someone says, Mark, you're doing a bad job. Thank you. I appreciate that. Even if I wasn't the one doing a bad job, even if I had a chance to defend myself, even if I had a chance to say, no, you're not understanding this, this, and this, it was just, okay, okay. I thought my voice didn't mean anything. And what turns out is that I was holding so much of that in, holding so much of my own voice in that I would burn out at jobs, that I would have terrible relationships with close people. At home, I would be ultra depressed where I was put on antidepressants. It's one of those things where if I could go back at a certain point in my life and just tell somebody no once just to see how it feels, maybe I would do that. So with therapy, I started young. I started in college because I felt like a small fish in a big pond. And then as I get into my older years, I get fired from a job that I thought I shouldn't have gotten fired from, but looking back, I definitely should have gotten fired from this job. It was a toxic environment. It's the best thing that happened to me. But I remember just being at a new job and like doing really well, but something was just bugging me. I just couldn't get through my days. I had an anxiety attack for the first time in my life, which was really weird while I was driving, which is really weird for me. And I said, I got to do something. And thank God for Dr. Nedler, who's in Virginia that we found each other and he was just very empathetic, sympathetic, a great listener. And people are like, oh, he's a therapist. He's supposed to be. Not all therapists are like this. Let's be honest, we're, they're, they're human. But for someone to just like take the time to check in on me, to make sure the appointments were a good time for me, to let me know that I could tell people no and the world wouldn't end, I was like, no, you're kidding. Like, if I say, no, this whole place is going to burn down. He's like, no, Mark, you can have your boundaries. And I was like, what? Say that again? Like, what word is that? Like, I, I haven't heard that before. Like, are we playing a sport? 
It's like, no, these are the things you need to work on. And he would be honest with me. He would give me work to do, give me homework, make me write down stuff that upset me, make me talk about the things I would say to people, to him. And slowly but surely I started. Now I did slip up the last job I had. I did slip a little bit. That was my, my monkey brain coming out. But I had a good friend who, who thinks a lot like me who called me out and, and we had a few conversations. So, but that happens. So I still think of myself as a people pleaser. Yes, I do. But I won't go out of my way to just appease people anymore. Like I want people to be happy. Like I want, that's part of the reason I do the things I do, why I coach, while I mentor, while I do my podcast. But if it doesn't add something to my life and you're just using me, like, no, I don't say yes to that anymore. It is a process. It is, it is a process. Yeah. yeah. And we always so. have slip ups. Like you said, at that job, you got lost for a minute and you went back to some old ways, but someone around you was able to point it out to you and you knew how to get back. You'd already climbed yes. the big mountain. Now it's a, it's a much smaller mm -hmm. mountain to climb. Yeah. All right. So you've got this mental health journey mm -hmm. and then which is therapy sort of on and off throughout a lot of years. Yep. And then mm -hmm. you've got this physical fitness journey mm -hmm. that you started in your mid thirties and have been following for a while. But you said to me that they were on sort of separate paths. You were usually focused on one or the other at any given Correct. point in time. Yes. And it would be times where I would really take my mental health seriously. Even doing my show, I would take it seriously. And I would say, I need to make sure I take time today to journal. I need to take time today to meditate or to be mindful in the things that I do. And I would just go for a quick run. I would just go for a two, three mile run, go quick run, come back. All right, got my workout done for the day. So I figured I'm good. And then there'd be other times where I would go for runs multiple times a week, feel really good, but jump right back into work or jump right back into, you know, the kids need me to do something and not spend any time on me. So I was either in really good physical shape or really good mental shape. And at no point did I realize that they were connected. And I know that sounds really weird to some people. I know that does. But the mind-body connection is crazy, it's true, it's amazing, it's awesome. I mean, how many times have you been ultra-stressed and you just like, my shoulders are really sore? It's because you've been tense all day. I'll give you an example. I used to give myself stomach aches so bad I had to go to the hospital because I was so anxious. And even with those, I didn't realize that they're connected. I always thought, oh, no, I must have eaten something. Oh, no, I must have something wrong. And once I started with my personal trainer, I was really mindful about the stuff I was doing at the gym and, and about the times I was going to the gym. And I was really mindful about, is this going to bring me more stress or reduce my stress? I can tell you right now, if I go to the gym at six o'clock on a Monday, like it's going to give me so much anxiety because everyone goes then. But if I walk in, take my time at, you know, five, five thirty, six o'clock on a Tuesday or Thursday, and I get to take my time, go to the sauna and just relax for a minute and have that me time and then go lift some heavy weights or go run and then do the same thing and come home and be relaxed. Like I did that the first time and I'm not saying everything went perfectly in my day, but it was stress-free. Like any escalation call, any fire that needed to be put out, like I was clear-headed and I was relaxed. At the end of my day, I didn't have that overly tired feeling that you get from like working really hard. I was like relaxed and my body was ready to go to sleep. And I was like, there's something here because I wasn't the person just walking through the gym and just doing stuff mindlessly. 
I was mindful about the things I was doing. And I remember having a conversation, just like you and I had a conversation with my therapist at the time, a great lady who was in Georgia. And I was explaining to them, I was saying to you, I'm like, something like, this just feels different. It just feels like that warm feeling, like something, like it's a cold day outside and there's like hot cocoa, a piece of warm apple pie, and just like a perfect circle of vanilla ice cream on top of it. And you have this blanket over you and you're going to ro- watch the worst rom-com ever. Like everything about That's this perfect. just feels... It just, yes, yes. I don't want to admit that I'm watching this movie, like Sleep in Seattle. Like, I don't want to, but it's like, I'm engaged. And she's like, you're growing as a person. You're finally listening to your body. You're finally listening to your mind. Like, you're finally listening to what they're telling you. You're not fighting anything. And you're just taking it for what it's worth. And you're accepting the person you are. And you're using your mental health. You're using your runs. You're using your weightlifting. You're using that to relax. And then you're going home and you're taking the time to do your affirmations and do your breathing because you want to prepare your body for the next day. And first of all, I told you you're very good at what you do. Like, that's awesome. I appreciate that. But then I just remember thinking, like, I want to stay here. Like, I want to stay in this spot. But you have to realize, like, that there's you can't stay there. Like, you have to keep progressing. But that just means you have to be intentional with your progress. You have to be intentional with your maturity. In my 40s now, I have to be intentional with my recovery, intentional with my sleep, intentional with the food I put in my body. And that, again, plays into all of this. So discipline, I think, is the word that comes to mind as I got to this point in my life because I never had it before. Yeah. Um, you know, yo-yo dieting and yo-yo lifting, all that mm-hmm. stuff is people want to be motivated all the time. I wanted that sign somewhere. Oh, this is what I need to do. Those signs aren't there. Right. Like you're there. So you have to work on that discipline. And that's what I did. So this is interesting. I wonder if this has any connection with that. One of the other things you mentioned to me in our original mm-hmm. correspondence was mm-hmm. something about getting a handle on your work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And as you're talking about going to the gym and taking time for your meditations and your affirmations and taking some downtime for yourself to be thoughtful mm-hmm. about just any of a thousand things. Mm-hmm. But I think in my own mind, and I can hear some of the listeners thinking and saying, but I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you're somebody who struggled with work-life balance before. So I'm wondering, did some of this discipline? Did some of this getting a handle on being a yes man, did that help you reduce some work burden that allowed you to take some of this time for yourself? Absolutely a thousand percent because I was that person that's just like, I, I don't have the time. And like I said, I reverted back a little bit my previous employer and it was a startup company. And in my head, I'm like, they hired me to do this job and I'm responsible for this and I have to do that. And I have to work these 12, 14 hour days and everyone's telling me I don't have to, but I know I have to. So that's one part of it. But I had a conversation with a young man on another podcast. His name is Lewis Shulman, a very mature, late twenties, early thirties guys, very mature. He wouldn't qualify to be on this show. I apologize. But I asked him that question because I wanted to know how the younger generation, because I love them for the fact that a lot of them don't want to be in the positions where their parents are dying at 60 from heart attacks because they were married to their jobs. And I said, how do you look at your mental health? How do you look at your physical health? Like, how do you get that done in the day? And he's like, that's part of my work. If I'm going to put in an eight hour day, that includes 
an extra hour at the gym, or that includes an extra 15 minutes. He's like, I don't see it any other way. I don't see it as something I don't have time for. I see it as something I must have time for. I don't have time to not do it. And this is past my epiphany, but I really like that analogy that he put it that way. Wouldn't be an analogy. It would be a a similar metaphor. I don't know which one it is, but you know (laughs) what I'm saying? But I like that he put it that way because I always thought it was a burden. Like, I can't tell you how many times where I'd slack my team or email or text. Okay, I'm going for a run. If you need anything, I have my phone on me now. And I so cringe now when I see people on their own time, tell me, I have my phone with me. Call me if you need anything. And unless your name is like Warren Buffett or Elon Musk or somebody that like owns half of the world, I'm not calling you when you're away from work. I want people to understand that, yes, jobs are important. Careers are important. But what really turned me around on this was the day I left work on time. Instead of working late, the day I left work on time, and lo and behold, the company was still solvent the day after. Like, lo and behold, the place hadn't burned down. And it forced me to understand that they'll be fine without you. You can leave at a regular time. And this whole, oh, it's my responsibility to get this done and only I can do it. And, you know, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. All that, that leave early once and watch. Yeah. Well, you have maybe a little more work to do in the morning, maybe, but guess what? The work is still there. Totally changed my perspective on that work-life balance. And I want to say this because this is the thing I say all the time. And I was working late one night at this company and my daughter comes in, the one that's in the sports and it's like 5.30, 6.30. She said, dad, do you want to go outside and shoot hoops with me? And she's seven or eight at the time. And I say, no, I'm sorry. Daddy's busy working right now. It was a Friday. It was a Friday. I said, no, sorry, daddy's busy right now. I apologize. And right like an hour or two later while I'm still working, I'm like, wait a second. Like, no, this isn't, this isn't what I signed up for. And it upsets me. I apologize if I get a little, like it upsets me that I can't get that day back with her. I can't get that moment back and say, yes, I will. Like I go play ball with her now, but the fact that she came into my office and had the basketball in her hand and asked her father to play basketball. And I said, no, because of a job. I told myself that's never going to happen again. Never, ever happen again. If I have another responsibility, I understand that. But if, for a job, no, yeah. absolutely not, because that's my priority. Yeah, well, the universe sent you a picture-perfect mm. moment right there, truly. <laughs> yes. And mm. it's interesting, because as much as it stings mm. to look back at that picture, it's also the picture mm. that's going to stay on the wall that reminds you that you're never going to make that decision again. You're never going to miss that opportunity again. Correct, yeah. correct. I know there's no such thing as a perfect dad. I understand that, but... I think we get those situations thrown at us that we're able to make the perfect decision. And I'm not going to let those slip again. I'm not going to do that. I just want to jump backwards. I love the podcast you were on. Was it Lewis? Lewis Shulman. Shulman. He was on, yeah, he was on the 6 a.m. run podcast. Yes. I love that point of view Mm -hmm. because it almost was like he was treating mental health and physical health as taking care of his instrument. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't actually work or produce or do all the great things if he wasn't taking care of his instrument. And that is so different from how those of us a decade or two (laughs) older than him think. (laughs) Yes. And I mean, that's exactly how he put it. He said, I can't do my work 
without this. Don't expect me to be who I am without it. And I'm like, don't ever lose yeah. that. Don't lose that. That's a super healthy approach. Although I can imagine if he's got older folks supervising him and such, yeah. that would be maddening. But Well, he's in the entrepreneurial space and I think he'll be ruling the world one day. <laughs> But I do have a thought about that, but we that's for probably for a different show, talk about the managers now and how, but I won't bash on them right yeah. now. I'm not bashing yeah, yeah. on them, but you understand. No, I don't. Well, the world continues to shift and people continue to shift with yes. it. And mm-hmm. you get in places where a, an era or a phase of what you're supposed to do looks like isn't mm-hmm. great for a lot of people. And but just you, we just need to evolve to the next place. That's all. Yeah. Should and shouldn't should be erased from people's vocabulary. That's how I feel. I agree. Yeah. This has been such a great conversation, Mark. Before we go, I have two things for you. First of all, you've mentioned it a couple of times. Tell me about your podcast. So the name of the show is Relatively Normal, and it is based on a conversation I had with a therapist seven or eight years ago, where it was one of those deep, dark days where I couldn't come out and tell you exactly what was wrong. And this is what tells me that mental health has a lot to do with physiology and biology. And a lot of times it's how people are wired and how they respond to things in the world and stimuli, things like that. I couldn't tell you anything was wrong this day. I was at work. I was in a suit. I drove to the therapist's office. It was a sunny day. And mentally, I wasn't there. And I remember him asking me, what do you want? Like, what's going on? Like, be real with me. What do you want? And I told him, like, I just want to be normal like those people outside. Like, people I see walking and smiling and carefree and not a care in the world. And they're cool with everything. I was like, listen, I got a house. I have a wife. I have kids. I have a job. I got, I mean, I've done all the checklist stuff. Like, why do I feel this way? And he said, you know, your normal is relative. Everybody's normal is relative. He said, you take in stimuli differently and your brain does something with it. And sometimes you feel bad. Sometimes you feel great. Sometimes it's from the environment. Sometimes it's just how your brain was wired. But we're going to work on coping mechanisms. But don't think you're weird or different or strange. It's like, this is your normal. And I was like, oh, no one's ever said that to me before. Thank you. And so it kind of branched on from there and it kind of had this epiphany in me, like, I wonder how many other people feel this way. And so I started this podcast with the intention of really talking to men about one, opening up. And I will keep saying that because the suicide rate for men is the highest of any sex demographic, all that good stuff. Black men is just ridiculous that we don't talk to each other and that stigma needs to go away. And two, I wanted to, I'll be honest with you, This is my personal space too. You're probably saying, why is a podcast your personal space? Well, not everyone listens to it, but I get to sit on the mic. And again, once you get a screen in front of people and a microphone in front of them, they will tell you. And that's how I felt. I got on the mic. I got a system down where I said the things I wanted to say, uploaded, I produced it, I edited it and put it out. And the feedback I got was really good. I didn't know what to expect, but within a day or two, I had a bunch of buddies that texted me or called me and said, you said exactly what I've been thinking for so long. And I was starting to give people that space to talk. So Relative Norm was a brainchild of that. And we're on our fifth season right now that I'm recording and uploading 120 some odd, 130 some odd episodes. And it keeps me busy. So that's relatively normal. It's amazing. All right, before we go, I have a last question for you. And that is, if there was somebody listening to this who was feeling the same way you were feeling in your mid-30s, late 30s, Mm -hmm. what kind of advice would you give to them? 
What would you tell them as somebody who made it to the other side? You know, in those cases where that person comes to me, has all the attributes of just that people pleaser, of that person that can't do anything right, the person who's too hard on themselves, the pressure of the world is on them, and then they go home and they just wallow in sadness and they don't take care of themselves. Like the only thing I would tell that person is that actually two things. One, you are not alone in your thinking because you feel so isolated sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like you feel like, again, I want to be normal. I want to be like everybody. I felt like I'm the only one having these thoughts. And that's the first thing I tell them is, is absolutely you're not alone. And the second thing I would say is self-care and I say this all the time, self-care is not selfish. And as long as people start to understand that, I tell people all the time, like, think about all the things that you love in the world, the kids, the parents, the relationships, the hobbies you have, podcasting, you know, all the things that you love in this world. There's one common denominator and it's you. It's literally you. That's not hyperbole. That's not me just making up. It is you. And what is the point of doing all this if you don't take care of the most important part of that? And people are like, ah, well, I don't know. That's self-centered and, and uh, you know, I don't want to be. No, like I tell my wife all the time. And when I run, when I work out, when I take care of myself, I'm a better husband. I'm a better dad. I'm a better friend. I'm a better neighbor. For a lot of people out there, you're better drivers. Let's be honest. <laughs> so it just makes sense that you would do the thing that makes every other part of your life better because what that person is doing, what I did is I tried to make everything else better and thinking it would make me better. And I had it all wrong. I had it backwards. And it's a losing so, proposition. Yeah. You can never make everything else better. Oh you're always going to fail. You, try going back in time and telling me that when I was 28. I'd be like, no, of course I can. I can solve all the world's problems. I'm going to do it. Give me, give me 10 minutes. Right. But now I understand that I'm going to take care of those things that I can control, which is myself. I cannot control how people react to me, what kind of person they think I am, if they think I'm a nice guy, think I'm mean. I had one person once think that I hated them. And I was like, I we never talked before. We've never even had a conversation She's like, well, you know, how you came off in meetings and I thought you hated me. I was like, I didn't know you. Right. We're friends now, but I can't control that. But what I can control is the amount of time I spend on myself. And I choose to spend enough time on myself. I love that. That's such a wonderful message and a wonderful mm -hmm. story. Mark, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today. This has been uh, again, just one of those meaty, wonderful, meaningful conversations. So I thank you for sharing so much of yourself with me. Stephanie, I appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. And I think that as we get older, we need to have these conversations because there's a lot more years in front of us. And I think knowledge is key. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed meeting Mark as much as I did. It's so interesting to hear a man talk about body image issues. We usually think those are the purview of women alone. But I love how Mark Goldilocks himself to where he is now. First, he focused on his mental health. Then he focused on his physical health. Then he bopped back and forth doing one at a time until he finally realized that working on them together was the actual recipe for success for his life. I was also taken by the mindset of the younger man he had as a guest on his podcast who said that mental health and physical fitness was part of his workday. It's like he treated his body as an instrument, and if he was going to do great things, then his instrument needed to be tuned up just right. 
It's funny, it's, it's the cliches we all hear. You can't pour from an empty bucket. Fill your bucket up first. Put, put on your own mask before you help someone else. But the funny thing is, they're all truer than we acknowledge. You wanna hear an example from my life? When I first got sick, about six years ago, I had to cut back on my work time dramatically. I didn't have a choice. There just wasn't enough energy for a full day. And then as time went on, I started feeling a little bit better, but it took me a long time to get up to speed in the morning. Now, I've never been a morning person, and my mother will tell you that, but this is beyond that. Some days it can take me like 45 minutes to even get my eyes open and drag myself to consciousness. And then there's the laying there, wrapping my head around the day before I even move. So as the years went on, it just sort of became the norm. And now I am unapologetic about not being a morning person. And I have stepped into and owned the reality that I am an 11 to seven kind of gal. And the fact that I can put in a full day is still a surprise to me some weeks. And some weeks I can't put in a full day. But now that I have the time and space I need in the morning to give my body what it needs, some days I even get in a little yoga or stretching, I get my breakfast, I get oriented to my day, and you know what? It works. I'm a better person for it. I have better days. I do better work. My little corner of the world has shaped itself around that fact. I'm a better boss and team member. Even my marketing clients know not to look for me first thing in the mornings. I'm probably a better wife, but I'm sure I'm still a pain in Patrick's butt most of the time. But this is my form of self-care and I don't apologize for it. So whatever self-care looks like for you, like Mark said, it's not selfish. It's the way you keep your instrument tuned up so you can do great things. All right. Next week, we're going to go even deeper into being a people pleaser when I talk to Martin Salama, who lost everything when he was 45. And we're going to talk about his journey from being a worrier to a warrior. I'll see you next week. The 40 Drinks Podcast is produced and presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications.